Welcome to another episode of Harvest Series, a podcast following a four-day experience in Kaplankaya on the southwestern Asian coast of Turkey, filled with fascinating talks and workshops to harvest knowledge and nurture the planet. An event produced by Athena Advisors and Capital Partners. Through my experience of bypassing my own pain for 10 years, I had spiritual practices, I meditated, I followed the spiritual rules, but I would go off and lose myself again every time until I couldn't do it anymore. My body, I, until the ceremonies became so tough because and I kept on just seeing the alcohol through my lineage, my father's lineage, my grandfather's, how much it's been a numbing agent or numbing component, I don't know, in the lives of my family that needed to stop. I needed to stop. And so it was very clear. And that's when the problems began. I am Rose, a French journalist based in Barcelona. And this episode is an interview made in Caplancaya with Stéphanie Canavesio. She's a guide on the healing journey, renowned for her approach centered around compassionate inquiry and meditative practices known as Presence Embodied. Her path crossed during Dr. Gabor Maté's retreat in Caplancaya last May. From an ancient model in New York City to a TV presenter in Paris, Stéphanie shares her personal journey a story of disconnection and addiction, and how she triumphed over these challenges, transforming herself into a beacon of guidance for others. Bonjour, Stéphanie. <laughs> Bonjour. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I know I'm very happy. I know you speak French and you lived in Paris, and I remember you as a beautiful former American model doing French television show. In which place... Were you really at the time? I would say at that time I was probably the most lost I can remember in in my life. And that was quite a few years after I had already began a spiritual quest. I've always been a seeker. I always remember as a child seeking for connection to the outer realms. And in the early days in New York City, going downtown to listen to yogis speak at the Jiva Mukti Center at the time, I was 13. I was a seeker, but something happened where I lost connection even more. I think it was when I began modeling and I left home very, very early. And I started getting into alcohol and drugs as a form of recreation, recreational use. At the time, there was no real talking about the effects, the long-term effects. Even now, I'm quite surprised that we don't really speak as much about that. But um, I began masking my inner self. And on the outside was modeling, got married, had a, be had, had a child, was living a quite beautiful life to, on the outside. I began doing TV after I quit modeling. But on the inside, little by little, I lost connection 
with myself. And I remember precisely a, a moment looking in the mirror when I was on TV at that time and not knowing who I was or who was this person inside and why do I feel so empty and why do I feel so sad after all the years of trying to achieve and having so much but feeling so worthless, I would say. What happened uh, to you? Do you think you mentioned modeling? Do you think modeling as a teenager had an impact on uh, your mental health? or No. In one hand, I believe that modeling helped me get out of America. It helped me feel a family in the teams that I would work with. I, ha I had so much. I, I loved every photo shoot I was on. And I worked a lot in France. And, and it was more a catalog, commercial type work. So I would work with the same stylists, the same photographers, lots of catalog, German, English, French. It became a, a big family. I know now through the work that I've done on myself that it went way back that the imprints that I had in my system that I, were perpetu I was perpetuating began in my childhood. So we'll discuss about this, but when did you try, you mentioned you were already having a spiritual practice, and why did it didn't help for so long? Well, it's an, it's an issue I have a lot with, this, with psychedelics is, uh, plant, and plant medicine, is they are wonderful tools to touch the divine realms, But if that connection isn't integrated after these deep sessions that we go on, these deep journeys, you can spend many, many years believing that you're doing deep healing, but you're actually somehow avoiding the deep pain. I'm saying, you know, back at the, in the day, there wasn't much talk about, I mean, we didn't have the internet Gabor was the first person that I really had met and read his book in the realm of Hungry Ghosts that really spoke about addiction. The indigenous tribes where we were going to drink with or have ceremony with were not necessarily accustomed working with Western psychology, the Western minds. The, the, the use, the, the ceremonies and rituals that I had the honor of participating were actually happening in the forest I was living in the city, I was modeling, I was still, you know, I was taking drugs, I was drinking, I, I didn't have the aftercare, I didn't have the therapy, you know, now there's psychedelic assisted therapy, now I really hope that when people make a choice to go into a ceremony, they understand that the actual work begins when you leave, the embodiment. Through my experience of bypassing my own pain, For 10 years, I had spiritual practices, I meditated, I followed the spiritual rules, but I would go off and lose myself again every time until I couldn't do it anymore, my body, I, until the ceremonies became so tough because, and I kept on just seeing the alcohol through my lineage, my father's lineage, my grandfather's, how much it's been a numbing agent or numbing component, I don't know, in the lives of my family that needed to stop. I needed to stop. And so it was very clear. And that's when the problems began. 
because I never believed, I never admitted I had it, any type of addiction because I didn't want to be one of those people because I never got really drunk. I never got off my face. I always, you know, I thought, Walk straight. I have it control. It's, I can do this. But every day I would reach for a drink. If there was drugs in the room, you know, I would, everybody else was taking them. But the downs were so bad that I would go have so much shame, but I still didn't stop. And that's the definition of addiction. Okay. When Even you if reach, it seems light, it seems light addiction in a way. One well, glass, one drink a yeah, day. Yeah, it seems light. Yeah. Well, I went to study in New York City with Robert Thurman and Joe Loizzo in an incredible program at Nalanda Institute, contemplative psychotherapy, where I began to study the teachings of the Buddha. And this is nothing new. You know, this, like, we're realizing it now, but suffering and the desire to escape from our suffering is part of the human condition. And stepping out of that cycle is a choice. And now it just so happens that we're really facing deep, deep, deep crisis and chaos. And it takes a willingness to really become sober, like it, not even in the terms to become sober, to become true, to, to embody truth, as opposed to this separateness, like, yeah. you know, negotiating. You don't drink anymore, I guess, now? No, no, I haven't, I haven't drunk for, for 10 years. I haven't done any drugs for 15, 16 years. I don't attribute, because of course there are some, pe some people that can drink and maybe even do drugs. And this is also pharmaceutical drugs. I mean, it's, yeah. it's wherever you turn to soothe or distract yourself from uncomfortable feelings, uncomfortableness. So it could be social media. When I stopped doing drugs and alcohol, I became addicted to self-criticism. It became my modus operatus, is okay. like putting myself down, judging myself. And that, that's the heart. It's, then it becomes more real. It's like you can't run away from your mind. Yeah. your childhood deep pain when did you face it for the first time I would say there's a moment that comes up so there are many types of trauma I, I, I also believe that, that we all have some type of trauma whether it's you know subtle trauma whereas like you know growing up with a parent that's an addict like I did my father was an alcoholic and then there's also growing up with parents that haven't resolved their own trauma So they're just unconsciously running in their bodies uh, behaviors and patterns and belief systems that they, they, they offer to you through education. There's nothing wrong in it, in an, it isn't, isn't at all. I actually, my mother is an amazing woman, but she suffered a lot and she was rageful. So I lived in fear a lot of her raging and she was very, a lot of mood swings And as a child, you only know to acclimate to what the surroundings are in order to receive love and attention. So we, we, we are, we're like barometers where we move up and down 
to meet the needs, like to try to blend in, to get attention, to, you know, to get love. And so we acclimate to very chaotic circumstances. And then we kind of soothe at some point. We need to, like, this is the way I perceive it. Well, I began with an eating disorder when I was 12. I was bulimic from when I was 12 to 20. I had to quit that (laughs) because of modeling. So I stopped that and I went to alcohol. And then when I couldn't hold the alcohol, I went to, to drugs, to cocaine and uh, ecstasy. And when I couldn't hold, when my body said no, <laughs> Gabor showed up in our, literally in our home in New York City in 2008. So we're mentioning Gabor Maté, Dr. Gabor Maté yeah. that we're having a lot in this podcast. Yeah. So how did he show up? Well, my boyfriend and husband, we, hadn't, we weren't married yet. We read this great, we, we first, our past lives, we were both, you know, we met in the party scene, kind of, in Ibiza. And then we both kind of had realizations that we couldn't continue that way. I, I think mine maybe, maybe happened before my husband. And I was introduced to ayahuasca in, the, in Paris in 1998. And so I was already a little bit on the path before him. And so I kind of brought him in to a different way of living, I would say, a deeper connection. Yeah. And then he began, someone, he was, he was producing documentaries and there was a documentary called Neurons to Nirvana and Gabor was, came to the house and was interviewed for the doc, documentary. And then we had the screening and it was at a time when it, this was all new, you know, R- Rupert Sheldrick, uh, I think Wade Davis, Daniel Pinchbeck, all of these many, uh, yeah, it was um, Amanda Beckley from the Beckley Foundation there were people that were speaking about it. About trauma. Trauma, and, uh, psychedel- psychedelics. Uh, yeah. yeah. Gabor was probably... Talking about trauma yeah. And, yeah, and the rest about psychedelics. Yeah, okay. And he looked at me and in, in his very honest way saw my anxiety, probably, my people-pleasing. I really see this a lot now as women are really waking up out of that program of people-pleasing and how much it's really holding us back. And he saw that and he said he had just, I think, finished his book, When the Body Says No. And he said, out of the breast cancer patients, 75%, something crazy. I don't know if that's exactly that, but um, get cancer. And that was a big statement at the time. Now there's research backing it up. Obviously, there was some research, but I, I believed it true. It feels true. And now I know it's true through experience with clients that have healed themselves with autoimmune disease and cancers through deep healing work. It's just how the body holds on to pain. And so when he said that, it was a wake-up call for me. I was also really suffering. It, 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 it felt good to be seen in my pain. And even the word pain wasn't pain and suffering, wasn't really something. Yeah, I remember the first time I I really studied pain and suffering in the with the Buddhist studies at Nalanda Institute with Robert Thurman and Joe, Dr. Joe. We spent a year studying suffering and what it is and how it's really just repressed emotional pain.
in a way, how do you view the fact that um, the trauma approach could be transforming us into victims, uh, victims of traumas we had, uh, mis genuine mistakes of our parents, genuine or not, uh, victims of our wrong decisions? Well, good question. I also believe that whether you call it conditioning or programming or simple, the way we were educated in our culture is being revealed to us now. And the, pro the co victim consciousness is very grand, very deep. It's being shown to us in many ways now in our life as in some very strange, magical way as an opportunity for us to step into our power. It's because if we're not deeply uncomfortable, there, there's a point when we're in our victim state where we hit rock, rock bottom. I hit rock bottom, I would say, maybe two, three times, first with the addictions and then with the, my victim consciousness, when I was just projecting all of my pain and saying it was the fault of my husband. And that because he was an angry, patriarchal, you know, I mean, it wasn't too, it was in 2015 where I, or 2018, thanks to a teacher of mine in, in Ibiza, because we all need those moments of recognition. She's, I was complaining about my husband and how I was in an unhealthy marriage, blah, blah, blah. And she said, why don't you leave him, tell, you know, speak your truth and let him know and either leave the relationship you know, set the ultimatum or what, you know, or, but take the responsible responsibility back in your hands. It isn't, maybe he is like that and it might, might not be right, but for, in order for us to see our, our victim consciousness, sometimes it needs to get really loud in the room. That was a big pivotal moment because I realized I need to let go. I need to, first of all, he needs to heal. But if I'm always blaming him for everything, energetically, if you have somebody next to you always pointing out your addictions, pointing out your anger, pointing out this, it's like, okay, but can that mirror turn it back and look at yourself? Like, why are you with this person? Why was I with that person? Why was I with an, a narcissist in, in my early days? Well, I know now why, because I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel I deserved to be me to speak my truth. So I spent many years lost in the victim consciousness. Poor me. I, well, after I blamed my parents, after I forgave them because they did their best, after I came, reconciled my past. And then I realized, thanks to my past, thanks to everything I experienced, and I see my father now actually smiling above me. I, can, I feel his presence. I thank him for who he was, because he really allowed me to step into myself in such a beautiful way. And my mother as well, with everything. You know, it's kind of, it's a, the day of reckoning when you, and I thank my husband. We're, not only are we so good, we're thriving together because we give each other a lot of space. And that, that takes a lot of trust. When I see him fully embodying himself, it gives me, I feel I'm so happy for him. And that's love, is really wanting the happiness of, of your partner. And sometimes that means separating. And, and sometimes it means taking space. And sometimes it means staying together, but just leaving each other, you know, 
letting each other do their own thing. And it doesn't mean you don't come back together. It's a letting go of the control. This massive shift in consciousness is coming, is purifying the mind so that we can actually drop into our hearts once and for all. I mean, maybe there was a difference. There were civilization. There were definitely civilizations that were heart-centered, but in this version, we we lost connection. So this letting go of the narratives and the stories of our own of, of of the need to control and how unworthy we feel and uh, our own you know rejection and oof, there's so much right now that we're clearing, and everyone has different. I would say different core wounds that we're born with, but um, it's this shift, and it happens within you, as it happens within everybody differently. It's the awakening into this aware, into this expanded awareness, which allows us to really connect deeper into our hearts and who we who we truly are. Which I, I when I say heart, I mean like our heart is the portal to of our true essence. So the connection is. Acknowledging our soul's, our soul, what our what our soul has to, if our soul could speak, you know, what would our soul say about what we're what are what we're experiencing now? Which, you know, these quest, it's all questions, question, questioning, questioning, is this true? And what's you know what's really going on? Now that uh, you've worked so much on yourself, how would you want to help? the others and how do you want to teach and how do you want to make them practice well it's changing as i'm evolving what i love is working in groups because we learn so much by being together and i see the impact of group work you know learning to deeply listen to others it helps us to get out of our own story traps i would like our own the prisons in our minds, opening ourselves up to even understand, wow, I'm just like her, or she's actually suffering just like me. So this beautiful meditation of Sharon Salzberg that I'm remembering now is when we, we remember that you are me, like you're just, you, you're exactly, we're experiencing the same things. And we can connect together, we can resonate together, we can assist each other by opening up ourselves to really listen and to allow ourselves to be heard. And that's, you know, that's the power of a group. And by sharing our stories, I guess, because I never thought it was really that important, but I've been doing quite a few retreats lately, and I now begin kind of sharing my story on the first day. And I get so much more feedback than... Any other time, it was when I share what I've been through. And so I realized that people, like humans, we need to relate and to understand. And throughout COVID, I started on Instagram because I was working one-on-one in New York and leading classes in, in New York City. I started kind of sharing what I was going through and how overwhelmed I was and how anxious I was and how much fear I felt and And I started realizing, actually, you know, there's more of a connection through our vulnerability than trying to pretend like I've figured anything out or coming from this superiority. That's a very masculine approach to healing. I figured it out. And by 
saying this or doing this. You, no, I believe it's a bottom-up process of first acknowledging where we are and how we got here as a humanity and how we disconnected we became and how by acknowledging and allowing uh, that's a more feminine approach and a, a deeper uh, compassion and a holding is much more healing and transformative than the top down that somehow number one somebody is going to come and be our healer and to actually self-heal a healing from within on an individual level will then assist the change in the external what would be like a very simple tip for someone who's ready to be transformed but just at the very beginning of the journey <laughs> slow down and take even if it's just a minute to be silent with what you're experiencing right now and instead of turning away from what you're experiencing to learn what it feels like to be with just like if your child comes to you crying or suffering you lean in but we forgot how to lean into ourselves so i would say just that simple practice of pausing noticing very gently even if it seems overwhelming just go in 10% but just that 10% i'm hearing one of my a spiritual teacher if you give 10% of your awareness each day you receive 90% of spirit spirit to assist you but it takes a gentle leaning in and a recognition of your experience from the inside so it's a deep listening it's a practice so understanding that transformation isn't something that you just get and then it's done it is a lifelong journey of being present with everything and that means when the challenges come as they do being able to look them in the eye like looking the tiger in the eye which is shiva ray one of my first teachers as a yoga when i was in a past life a yoga instructor that look the tiger in the eye you know look be able to look the tiger in the eye which it's a big it's a big ask but it's what's needed it's a silly question but when you mentioned this advice of uh, taking one minute to look at yourself and uh, do you have do you advise a special time because the days goes very quickly when you're busy and you're not used to pose so would you advise to do that at a special time of the day to have like a routine lim to have an alarm almost or for, so for you to create and to embody your intention i do um suggest setting aside a small place in your house where you can have a little altar and put objects or feathers or a candle an incense a light a, a memory a photo of a grandparent a photo of a saint a teacher that you every morning you look at i light my my candle on my altar 
and I remember through these objects. And I, I recommend sitting in the morning, ideally, you know, 10 to 20 minutes, and in the late in the afternoon or evening, 10 to 20 minutes. And in the beginning, if it's too much, too overwhelming, you know, finding like a mantra, like breathing in, let, and exhaling, go. And that's an easier for the mind to have a mantra in the beginning. And I used TM for many years. It also helped me a lot, transcendental meditation, to have the practice kind of in me. But um, little by little, then just sitting with your breath or in silence or with your body and then tuning into sensations, you can expand. It can go in all different directions. Stephanie, I'm going to finish this interview with um, my last question, the question I'm asking to all the guests. If there is one thing that gives you hope, what is it? That we are divine, and I know that, and that we all have uh, light. With We are light, actually, in human, human form. We have physical body, but we have an energetic body and a light body. So what gives me hope is this knowingness that no matter what I'm experiencing, no matter what I see in the world, whatever I'm witnessing, these are all opportunities for, for me to connect deeper into this connection to the, to the divine within me and knowing that everyone else is going through their own experience of that. So letting others go at their own pace because we can't really trying to heal the world or getting caught up in, in this idea that somehow we're responsible for others is a distraction. So I always go back to remembering that I'm divine and that we have more than ample support and guidance around us. It, only we have to connect to it. Thank you, Stephanie. Uh, thanks a lot for sharing your journey. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you, Rose. Thank you so much. I hope you found inspiration in Stephanie Canavesio's compelling story. Her journey through childhood disconnection and breaking free from the lineage of addictions. Additionally, her insightful tips on meditation practices may have resonated with you. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd greatly appreciate your support. Please consider leaving a positive review and connecting with us on Instagram at Harvest Series. Our upcoming episodes will feature recordings from our inaugural Harvest event outside Kaplankaya, held in London. Stay tuned for more enriching conversations.